Well, good morning, Crossroads. My name is Dustin. I'm the Mishawaka Campus Pastor, and it's great to be with you this morning. What a great day it is. Uh, That's right. And I love uh, being able to be a part of a church that is one church in multiple locations. And so today, I don't know if you realize this, but we are worshiping here in Goshen. Give it up for yourselves, Goshen people. That's right. We are here uh, as well. We also have many joining us online, some spring break people. Give it up to our online people. We are so glad you are here as well. And then we've got some campuses, one down in Florida. Can we give it up to our St. Pete family right now? That's right. And of course, I saved the best for last. Let's give it up for our Mishawaka people. That's right. Mishawaka, I'm with you. I love you. I miss being with you today. But we are so glad uh, to be together today in all of these different locations as we gather around uh, a single idea. In the last couple of weeks, we've realized that in life, we're just acknowledging the fact that in life we all have wounds, right? We, we have things we suffer through. We carry scars and burdens and hurts through life. I think it's important to acknowledge that and even to acknowledge that in church and recognize we're all on that journey together. And the truth is, is that that's not the end of the story. The beauty of what we've been discussing is that in the midst of our scar or wound or hurt, no matter how far you feel away from God, there is always hope because there's always Jesus. And that when we cling to the hope we have in Jesus, we find freedom and new life together. And so I'm so excited to keep leaning into this idea together. You know, last week as Pastor Michelle was up here, she said uh, one thing that stuck out to me that, that I've been thinking about is that in the midst of recovery, in the midst of leaning into Jesus and our scars and finding hope in dark places, is we still face choices, We still have choices to make, and and that's an important uh, idea for us today because we recognize this, that it's possible, in fact likely, that our scars can lead us to some pretty dark places. And if we're not careful, our scars will lead us to shame. Our scars will lead us to shame, and shame is not a place anybody wants to live, and shame is not a place you are created for, and still I think many of us walk around struggling with the idea of shame. You know, I came uh, face to face with this idea a couple of weeks ago in my basement. I'm watching March Madness with my two boys. Davis is five. He was sick of watching basketball, so he was in the corner watching Daddy's Phone, some random show on Netflix for kids. I don't know. Uh, And then uh, my youngest, Deacon, is eight months old. He's too young to know what basketball is, so me and him are watching the game together. We're having a great time. And it's in the middle of, of one of these games. I was pretty locked in. It was towards the end. And Davis, I don't know, he got bored. I don't know what five-year-old boys are thinking. So he just decides to run across the room as hard as he can. He doesn't let his phone down. He just somehow jumps and tackles me holding his phone in midair and hits me pretty hard. And I'm holding Deacon. And, and as he hits me, uh, the, the shock of running into such a well-built human, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Uh, just uh, ejects the phone from his hand and it falls, right? It's like slow motion. There's nothing I can do to stop it. And it like jams right into my, my baby son's face, 
right? And I don't know if you've tried this, but if not, you should try having someone throw a phone at your face. It doesn't feel good, right? They're heavy. And so Deacon starts crying. And I'm a little frustrated at Davis. It's like, dude, come on. You have a little brother. You got to be careful. And I turn and I get a little angry. I'm a little frustrated at him. And he's a little upset because he sees that what he did has hurt his brother. And he's pretty sensitive, and so he starts to cry a little bit. But then when I turn and I'm frustrated, the, the sadness and shock of that moment turns to something different. Right? His face changes, and now he runs as, far, as fast as he can away from me into the corner of the room, in the corner of the couch. He finds a blanket, he tucks it over his head, and he burrows his head into the cushions of the couch. It's like, I want to get as far away from you as possible, Dad. You know, at the, at the time, I'll be honest with you, right? It's a pretty profound moment as a dad, but at the time it was also, there's only like 30 seconds left in the game, right? So I'm a, my tension's divided. I'm trying to be real with you guys, okay? I'm being vulnerable up here. Uh, and so, and so I'm, Deacon's crying, and so I'm trying to watch the game. I'm like, he'll be fine. Davis will be fine. He's burrowed in the couch. Uh, and so at, at, at timeout, I go and I, I check on, on Davis, and Deacon's still crying. I'm trying to console him. And it's at that moment, my little baby son, I didn't mention this before, but he's got uh, sets of like gopher teeth. Uh, we'll call them, let's call them demon teeth just for the time, because it's at that time he decides to take a big chunk out of my neck, right? And he's crying. Now I'm upset and I bop him gently on the nose and I drop him. I mean, I set him down <laughs> on the floor and now everybody's crying. Davis is still hiding and Deacon, I, I, it's crazy. He, he turns away from me, right? His cry has shifted now and he's hiding his head from me and he even arches his back like a little turtle and he's, he's hiding from me too. And it's crazy because in this moment as a dad, I've never taught my kids to do that. We didn't go to run and hide because you're a feel ashamed school. Right, this is something they just learned. It's like built into them. And I think the truth is it's built into all of us. This ideal when you, you feel like you've done something wrong, like this, this instinct to turn and run and hide is real. And I learned something in this moment I think is important for all of us to just process is this. See, guilt can tell the truth, right? Guilt tells us the truth, and sometimes that truth is hard to hear, but you need to hear it. Guilt tells us the truth. But see, shame, shame is a liar. See, guilt says, hey, don't throw phones at babies' faces. That's true. Don't do that. Guilt also says, don't bite people in the neck when you're a little baby, right? Don't do that. Right? Don't bite people. Just a general rule. Pretty good rule. Right? Guilt tells us the truth. And I wanted my sons to know the truth, that what they were doing was not appropriate in our house. See, now shame took over at some point because it went from being something they did was wrong to now they are carrying it as if they're wrong, as if they're bad, as if they deserve to hide, as if they're the ones that need to run away. See, guilt tells the truth, but shame is a liar. And I really want us to lean into that because I think some of us need to hear the truth. And that can be hard. Right? And guilt can be heavy, but it's important for us to lean in and learn from the truth because if we don't deal with it, it'll take you somewhere you don't want to go. But, but many of us, probably more of us, have listened to shame for far too long. We've been living in shame, living in a lie. So today I want to lean into a story that I think helps us uh, unwrap that idea today. It's, it's found in the book of Exodus. It's about one of the greatest leaders in all of Scripture. 
A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Tim opened the, the beginning story of, of this hero, and, and it ends, starts at the beginning of Exodus, which conveniently begins right after the book of Genesis ends. But in between the two books are 400 years. And in that 400 years, uh, God's people, Israel, they're in slavery. They're in bondage. They don't have freedom as people, and they're crying out to God. And generation after generation comes and lives and dies and, and wonders why God isn't doing anything about their situation. Maybe you can relate to that. And then we, we, we meet uh, in, in Exodus 1, Moses is this unlikely figure from an unlikely place, and, and God uh, miraculously figures out a way to get him to not die, but in fact to be raised in a position of influence in the palace. And so Exodus 1 is this incredible story about in the midst of pain, Moses' mom and, and gives him up, and he finds up being, winds up being raised in the palace of Pharaoh. And that's where we get, right here in Exodus chapter 2, we find Moses, and this is really the only story we find of Moses as this middle-aged guy who has been raised in Egypt. And it starts out like this. It says, many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. And he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. See, Moses stumbles across an injustice. And this injustice, it's like, it's like a, a million times over. It happens all the time. And Moses is sick to his stomach and he hates what he sees. All right, and the truth is he knows like, God hates what he sees. And he's like, man, I got to do something about it. And he's filled with like a rage. But he makes a decision, right? He, he decides in that moment he has a choice and he chooses not to do things God's way. He says, no, I'm gonna take matters into my own hands. God, I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna ignore your way. And he knows it's wrong. He's looking both ways. <laughs> he takes the posture of how we all look when we're about to do something we know isn't right. He looks both ways, makes sure no one's watching. And then he buries the body, hides the evidence, hoping no one will ever figure out what he's done. So here's the reality. Moses was hiding his sins. And the truth is, Moses was guilty, guilty as charged. The truth is, if you kill somebody, if you take your, someone else's life into your own hands, that's against God's best for your life. He's guilty. And I do think it's important to pause on that moment because the truth is we're all guilty. All of us are guilty. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned and carry the weight of sin in our life. See, Moses takes the posture of someone who's about to do something wrong, and I think we learn from that. And maybe if you're like me, and you can be real for a second, you recognize yourself in the actions of Moses when he knows what God's best is, but he chooses to do it his own way anyway. That's what happens when we sin. God, I hear you, but I'm going to do it my own way. And here's the reality as we're talking about scars, let's just park here for just a second because the truth is the root of all scars is at some point sin. Many of your scars are because you have chosen before in your life to do things that are against God. You've sinned against God, you're guilty. 
And if you let sin in your life, it will destroy you. It will eat you alive. The consequence of sin is death. And many of our scars are because we've let that into our life intentionally, like Moses in this story. Some of your scars, though, are because somebody else has sin, and it's deep, and you don't want to talk about it because it's real, and the the sin that they did is against you and against God, and that's real, and it hurts. And there are other scars in the world that are there as a consequence of your own sins. Like, we're guilty. And Moses here, he's hiding the body. He's looking around because sin loves the shadows. Sin loves to just creep around and lurk around every corner. And we love to justify it all the time. And we're pretty good at it. God, listen, nobody's going to know. Right? God, wouldn't you want me to be happy? Right? Doesn't it say in the Bible somewhere that it wants me to be happy? It doesn't. Like, we justify it away and we excuse it away. God, listen, culture's changed. It's a different world. Like, it's okay. You understand. Right? Hey, like, everyone else is doing it. No one's going to know. I'm in pain and this helps me feel better. Don't you want me to feel better? And we're pretty good at justifying and explaining away our sin in the same way Moses, right, he sees an injustice and he justifies his own decision to do against God. And I wanted to sit there for a little bit. I know that's not a fun conversation to have, but if we make light of the fact that we're all guilty, we can't possibly fathom the depth of what it means to be forgiven. What we're going to celebrate at Easter, Jesus on the cross and resurrection from the grave, it means nothing if you don't, aren't willing to admit that you are guilty and without Jesus you are destined for nothing but disaster. So I have a question today for you is this, is have you buried away something that you hope nobody will find? Because that's typically how sin works. It lurks in the shadows and it compels us to act and then it burrows itself deep in our soul and it rots us from the inside out. You know, I remember there was a time in my life as uh, growing up in church, raised to be a good Christian boy, and true, to be honest, I had, I had a, a couple of sins in my life that I had buried pretty deep, and I didn't want anybody to talk about it. And, and I remember at, at, a, at a service similar to this, I was convicted, and, and I, I prayed a prayer of forgiveness, and, and I knew that God had forgiven me, but, but that thing still existed in me. It was like something deep was eating away inside of me, and I felt like God was saying, I didn't really know how to explain that, but I felt like I was being asked and urged to confess it to somebody I cared about. In fact, I, I felt like God was saying, Dustin, you got to confess this to your dad. And I was like, that's dumb. I'm not doing it. Because I cared about how my dad saw me. I wanted him to respect me, and I wanted him to be proud of me. And just the idea of, of confessing my own, my own bodies in the sand was not something I wanted to do. And I kept that buried for years. And I was in ministry for some of those years. Until one day, like the conviction of God in my heart was so heavy and and so great, I just said, listen, I know this is what I gotta do. I called my dad and I had a hard conversation and he said, cool, thanks for telling me, son. And that was it. And I was like, what? But but in that moment, I tell you, I've never felt that freedom before in my life. Never. 
And I think uh, the confession is a gift God gives us to help us overcome the things we've buried deep in our life. And I think we're all afraid on the other side of confession is, is rejection and condemnation and, and certainly from friends that might happen. But the truth is with God, on the other side of confession is freedom. And Jesus has died and paid for your freedom. And, and many times we stay stuck in our spot because we're afraid to be real with God. If you've buried something, maybe today is the time to confess to Jesus. On the other side of confession, I promise you, is freedom. The story keeps going. It says this. The next day when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. So the next day comes and Moses decides, hey, I don't know what to do now, so I'm just going to go about life as usual. And he's just walking around pretending that everything is the same as it was the day before. Moses, even though he knows there, there's literally a body in the sand 10 feet away from him, he's walking around pretending that things are cool. He's putting on a pretty good show. He's putting on a face. And, and you know, it's pretty easy for him as he's ignoring what's wrong in his own life. It's easy for him to spot the flaws in someone else. And he sees someone else who's just hitting one of his fellow Israelites and he decides, hey, let's not fight each other. Maybe you should have thought about that yesterday when you decided to kill somebody, Moses. And he's, he's putting nothing but judgment towards something he doesn't really understand. And so here's the reality I want us to see is that Moses was hiding himself in broad daylight. He was just putting on a show. And you know, the guiltiest people make the best self-righteous people. Because it's so much easier to find faults in other people than it is to deal with the things in our life, the wounds in life that are deep in our heart. It's so much easier to get on Facebook and just blast society and our world's going crazy and there's no morality and everyone does whatever they want. It's pretty easy to point the fingers and blame at someone else. Everyone else is the reason why the world is messed up. It's much easier to do that than to take a hard look at our own spirit and soul and realize there's things in our life too. And Moses was pretty good at looking down at someone else. You know, I think more than that, it's even deeper than that. There are times where we just think the best thing for us to do is to put on a show because if people found out what was really going on, it would not be good. In fact, this reminds me of a time uh, I took a group of middle schoolers, well, I took a bunch of kids to a winter retreat at the beginning of my youth ministry career. Uh, and as we were at this retreat, we were having a, a great time. And there's a, a couple of middle school boys that I just love hanging out with. And, and a couple of them, one in particular, he just, let's just say, he wasn't very good at not smelling terrible. We'll just say that. And this comes from someone who doesn't have a sparkling record of, of great hygiene in my past, all right? I've been called smelly multiple times in my life. But man, this kid took it to a whole nother level. And I'm pretty sure he hadn't showered in a couple days before we got there. And he certainly hadn't even sniffed the shower by the time we were there a couple days. And we're running around getting all sorts of sweaty and playing games. And we're confined into spaces with a bunch of people. And after day two or so, I pull this kid aside. And I'm like, dude, listen, I hate to be this guy, but you probably need to hear this hard truth. You stink, man. You need to go take a shower, All right? And he looks at me, he's like, I got you, Dustin. And he walks to the bathroom. And I'm thinking to myself, look at me, making a difference in the world. One smelly middle schooler at a time. I'm changing lives and I'm celebrating myself, you know? And, and so as I, as I look in, uh, I go, I hear this sound uh, coming from the bathroom. It's like, Shh. 
And I was like, that doesn't sound like a shower. And I walk in the room and he's got two cans of Axe body spray and he's just going to town on himself. Remember when those were a thing? Yeah, he's just going to town on himself. And now he doesn't just smell like a dead person. It's like a dead person from in a chemical bath, right? It's like, <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, you know, and he's like, I got you, Dustin, I'm good. And he walks out to go, you know, I don't know where he's going, service. I don't know. He just smelled bad. He's a smelly kid. And so it's just, it's funny because <laughs> as I think about that story, I think how, how easy it is for us to do the same thing in our, in our life, in our spiritual walk, is, is we think it's just a simple fix to, to spray on like just this outer surfacey thing. Like without actually dealing with the root cause of our problem, something that's much deeper and more broken, it's like instead we just put on this shallow display of our faith. You know, my question is this, is have you been masking your scars? This question actually brings me to a really important moment in my life. I remember I had I'd been dating uh, who's my, my, the girl who's now my wife, Corey. I'd been dating her for a couple of months, and uh, this is the moment I knew that we were going to get married. Uh, she was over at my apartment, and, and she, we were having a great time watching a movie or something, and in the middle of the movie, she paused it and, and turned and, and looked to me, and her face was like, her face changed, and I thought, oh, no, and my first instinct was to run away, but then I was like, this is my apartment. I'm stuck here. Uh, and so I knew I had to lean into the conversation and, and she begins just to tell me things about her life and about her journey and, and even some of her wounds and scars that she's experienced and I knew she was frightened to death to tell me these things because she thought, hey, it's possible that Dustin doesn't like this. It's possible that he turns and runs. It's possible that he rejects me. But the truth is, on the other side of her vulnerability was not rejection, it was actually intimacy. That's the moment I knew I was going to marry her because she was willing to show me her real self. She would trust me enough with the real Corey. And the truth is, God doesn't want the fake version of you. God's not interested in the show. He's not interested in the surface, shallow play that we put on. He wants the real you, and he knows it all. He sees all the scars. He sees all the warts. He knows all the trouble. He knows all your thoughts and your doubts and your problems, and he wants you anyway. And still, we like to hide ourselves from God, and, and he's inviting us into intimacy with him. And the quickest path to intimacy is a moment of vulnerability. And I promise, on the other side of vulnerability, it's not condemnation from God. It's intimacy. I don't know if you know this, but you were created to be in an intimate relationship with God. That's what you're created for. And God invites you to take a step to intimacy. We're going to have a chance to do that later. That's what you're created for. Story keeps going. Moses was walking around and, and he passes judgment on someone else because it was easier than dealing with his own stuff. And he says this The man replied, Who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, Everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened and he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. All right now, Moses, Moses' greatest fear has happened. Fear of being found out. And I've carried that fear before. That's a terrible, terrible fear. And he thinks in this moment, man, this is over. 
My life is over. It's done. I can't continue on. People know that I'm a murderer. People know that I'm against them. And now I'm an enemy. And he decides, I'm going to run away. Now remember, God had taken a long time to get Moses to have this place of privilege inside the palace. And Moses knows it's probably not God's plan for him to run away. But he does it anyway. He hears the voice of shame saying, listen, Moses, you got to get out of here. You got to run. God doesn't love you. Nobody loves you. This isn't your place. Go and go far away and keep running, Moses. And he doesn't just run a little bit away. He runs far away. And he doesn't run for a little bit of time. He runs a long time, 40 years. Moses runs and hides in the wilderness. What we realize is this, Moses was hiding from God. And he's living in shame. See, there were some whispers that were catching the ear of Moses in that moment. And it makes me think of one of the greatest scenes in the most theologically significant movie of all time. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called The Lion King. And in The Lion King, there's this scene where the main character, Mufasa, is killed by his brother, Scar. His name's not Scar on accident. And Scar is this guy who has deep wounds about not feeling loved and feeling forgotten in his life. And so he decides the best thing to do is to kill his brother. So he stages it and he kills his brother Mufasa. And Mufasa's laying on the ground and, and Simba, the son, comes up to find his, his dead dad. And he's, he's just so upset. And he's like, his life is over as he knows it. And then Scar comes creeping out of the shadows, sneaks up to Simba and he whispers in Simba's ear and he says, look what you've done. You did this, Simba. Run, run away because you're no longer welcome here. No one's going to love you. No one's going to forgive you. No one's going to accept you anymore. Run, and Simba runs away from his destiny, runs away from who he is. See, that's what shame does. It whispers in our ear, and it lies to us. Remember, guilt can tell the truth, but shame is a liar. And if you listen to shame, you're listening to lies. And there's a couple things I want to point out that shame says whenever we're dealing with hard things in our life. Shame likes to slap these labels on us. Shame says, you are destroyed. It makes you say, I'm no good. It's over for me. My life is over. This is how Moses felt. I'm done. It's over. It's gone. But you know, that's not what God says. God says, you are very good. God says, you are his masterpiece. He created you to do good things from long ago. Like God says, you are loved and his beloved. That's what God says. Shame puts the label of, of distanced on you. It's like, you're too far gone now, man. You've done it again and you've done it again and now you're distanced. God doesn't care about you. God doesn't love you. You're unforgivable, right? You've done it too many times, too far gone. You don't know what I've done, Dustin. I've done way too many bad things and I'm unforgivable. That's, what, that's the voice of shame. But God says, you're forgiven. God sent his son to die so that you could have forgiveness and freedom in him. You are forgiven. God says, as far as the east is from the west, that's as far as your sin is from you when you give it to me. You are forgiven. You know, shame puts a label on it. It says, you're disowned. That makes you think, I'm all alone. Nobody cares. Nobody understands. Nobody knows what I've been through. I'm in this thing by myself. You don't get me. But God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says, I will personally go before you, go with you. I am behind you. I am in you in all things. It's the voice of God. 
Shame says, you are disqualified. What you've done is too much. There is no way. Makes you think, I'm unusable. There's no way God could do something good through me. I'm going to sit on the sidelines and maybe hope, maybe hope something changes in the future. But that's not the voice of God. That's the voice of shame. God loves to use things that think they're unusable. God loves to use people who seem to be disqualified. That's how God has always worked. And he has a purpose for your life, a divine purpose that is far greater. Scripture says it's immeasurably more than you could ever ask or think. The voice of God. So my question for you today is this. Have you been running from God? Have you been hiding from God? And some of us have been running and hiding and living in shame for far too long. Moses thought he could go far enough, but the truth is there's no such thing as far enough. God is chasing you down. God wants a relationship with you. God desires intimacy with you. You know, Moses ran and, and the story keeps going and it says he was in this place for 40 years and he had a whole new life, a whole new identity. He didn't see himself the way God saw him anymore. It changed everything. Living in shame changed everything for him. But God chased him down and right there in the middle of the wilderness, he was walking by a bush and it began to burn but not consumed. And God speaks to Moses from that bush says, take your shoes off, man. This is holy ground. This is God speaking like really God right here. And he says this, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. Even though you left your post, man, I still hear my people because that's how God always is. He sees us in our scars. Because I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. He says, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. See, God had great things planned for Moses. And Moses' shame, he listened to it and he ran from God, but God chased him down. And this is the beginning of a new direction for Moses. And, and you can see, like, even though he chooses to listen to God, shame still is there in his life. He's struggling to get over it because it's a pretty powerful force in our life if we let it be. This self-doubt and this, this idea that you're unworthy and, and this shame, it fills our hearts and it can consume us. And, and God calls him out of that. And he leads, he leads into Egypt. He goes into Egypt and leads his people out of slavery into freedom because, by the way, that's what God has always been about. This is the key story in Scripture, the, one of the stories that all other stories point back to about who God is. And, and God is always bringing people out of bondage into freedom. And he chose to do that by, by using a guy like Moses and so my question for you and my thought for you is this, is, is potentially I'm thinking God wants to use you to help other people bring them out of slavery into freedom. But that wouldn't happen if they didn't turn, if we, Moses didn't turn, if we don't turn and face God. And so my, my question for you is this, is will you stop living in shame? Will you start living in freedom? The truth is this, now's the time. I just want to have a moment with you because I realize this is kind of a, a deep topic, but I think truly there are people in here that need to hear the voice of Jesus in their life today. Wherever you're watching from at any of our campuses or online, I think Jesus wants to speak to us. And I, I would hate to go on from this situation to have an opportunity to see God and miss it. So I just have a couple questions. And as I ask these questions across all of our campuses here in the room, if, if this is you... <laughs> 
I want you just to be honest and raise your hand. And, and the truth is this, like, it's a bold thing to do. People might look at you and judge you. But so what? They've got stuff too. And this could be the step you take to find freedom today. The first question is this. Are there things in your life, are there sins in your life that you've buried too long? In fact, I'm going to have everyone just bow your heads across all campuses. And so now it's just you and God. Are there some sins in your life that maybe, if you're honest, you've let undealt with? Maybe some things you've watched, some things you've said, some, some, some people you've upset on purpose, some, some conversations that were hateful, and some things that you've left, some hidden things you've kept in your heart. And on the other side of confession is not condemnation, it's freedom. And if you'd like to find that freedom from an, from an unresolved sin in your life, would you please just raise your hand? Just across all... Yes, thank you. That act of raising your hand is a confession and God sees it and you have freedom this morning. Amen. A second, I think some of us, just if we're honest, we've been putting on the mask, we've been masquerading, we've been doing the Christian thing for a while, but if we're honest, there's, there's not really a depth to it. it. Hasn't been that compelling and we're not sure we've been real with ourselves and with God. And if you just right now would like to experience just a moment of intimacy, I just encourage you, raise your hand. Just say, God, I want to be real with you. If that's you, if your desire is to be real with God and strip away the pretense, thank you, God sees those hands. Thank you. And finally, maybe for you, you just, you, you realize the voice of shame has been loud in your ear and it's not the voice of God. And you'd like to just take a moment and, and look at the voice of shame and call it for what it is. It's a liar. If you want to do that right now and find freedom from that voice in your life, just raise your hand across all campuses and here online and in this moment. Thank you. God sees your hand. Now, finally, this last moment really is just a chance. If, if, if you haven't said yes to Jesus before, we're going to have a chance to do that. And listen, in Jesus is hope, and there is no other name under earth on which you could be saved. And he's here. <laughs> desires a relationship with you. And it can start, this is a catalyst moment for change. So right here across our campuses, if you want to read after me, it says this, Jesus, I need you. I believe you are the savior of the world, that you gave your life to forgive my sins, and that God raised you from the grave so that I could have eternal life. Thank you for loving me. I am saying yes to you, Jesus. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. And Jesus, thank you for new life. Thank you that when we say yes to you, it changes everything. Thank you for the lives you've impacted in this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. I mean, can we celebrate all the changed lives here across our campuses this morning? Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Hey, and here's the truth. Listen, you can't do faith alone. And so if you said yes to Jesus, if you want that to be a real moment, I encourage you to come over here at Goshen to find uh, Pastor Keith. He will help you. Don't do it alone. We want to partner with you on your journey with Jesus. And again, we're going to celebrate what God has done in this place. So let's stand together and worship Jesus.